My text today is from the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 55. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great questions in Christian theology, and really for any kind of Christian life, is about how much and in what way the Christian gospel makes a difference. How much do our lives actually change in the long term as a result of faith? We all know there can be a fantastic initial effect, a freedom and a joy and a peace that come with the arrival of faith a discovery of community and of a deep sense of purpose and calling. But what about the years and decades later? What about our old damage as we move forward as Christians and as human beings? Does any person, Christian or not, ever really change down in the deep engines of their heart in the ways they wish they would? It's an old commonplace about relationships that the key to happiness is realizing that the other person will never actually change, ever, not one bit. (laughs) Let's be honest, there's a bit of truth there, a lot of truth there. But is that really the full story? Yesterday I spoke about renewal. I do believe in renewal. I believe in the living agency and intervention of the Holy Spirit of God And I believe in the resurrection of dead lives through the good news of Jesus Christ. These are biblical truths, and they are also concrete, experienced truths in real lives in the world. But today, our topic is something different. Today, I want to talk about when nothing has changed. I want to talk about the old baggage we just can't seem to get rid of. The destructive wiring we just can't shake. Today is about the old wounds that persist, the scars in the heart that still break open when you least expect it. I was last here at the Advent in 2004. Think for a minute. Are there things about you that you were working on or worried about or reaping the consequences of in 2004 that today nine years later, in 2013, are not really any better, are not really any different than they were back then. Do you still have that temper, which seems to come out more than ever, especially with the children or with your wife? Are you still as ambitious and unreconstructed in your professional life as you were back then, still spending much of your waking thought on how to maneuver just one little bit higher? Are you still unhappy with your appearance? Still believing that one more diet, one more treatment, one more purchase will finally reconcile you to how you look? Are you still nursing a deep anger at an old betrayal nine years later? Here's a good one. Has your relationship with your parents changed for the better in the past nine years? Has it changed at all? Our question today is, How deep is the old damage, even now, even today, 
even after years of ministry, of therapy, of prayer, of learning more about yourself and God and others? What does it mean to be a Christian and still a sinner? What does it mean that in certain crucial ways, you are still a mess after all these years? I'm not, I mean, obviously. Now, this sermon is not about making a grand assertion about the nature of sanctification in the Christian life. I'm not interested in making some normative or general claim about how things should be or should not be, whether for a Christian or for anyone. No. Today, I want to talk about the simple fact on the ground of those things that have not changed in our lives insofar as they have not changed. So the topic for the next few minutes is what Christianity has to say to you right now, today, and to me insofar as nothing has changed. What I am in fact offering you is the last-ditch resource for the lost and broken person, including not least the lost and broken Christian Because you see, there is a resource, there is a factor that can deal with anything you throw at it, there is a reality that can look the worst of you straight in the eye with infinite compassion and never blink. To get there, though, let's get a little bit theological for a minute. In Christian theology, there's an important and long-standing conundrum. Why? In light of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the completed work he accomplished on the cross, do we still die? Physically, I mean. Why is it that every Christian who has ever lived, with the exception of Jesus, has gone to the grave? Whether slowly or suddenly, all our bodies fail eventually and return to the earth, dust to dust. And unless there are some serious eschatological developments very soon... That will be true for you and for me as well. Christians still die. Regardless of what then happens to them after death, which is a separate thing, from a theological perspective, this is in fact a strange fact. Paul addresses this subject directly in his first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 15. First, he tells us that in an important sense, death has in fact not yet been defeated. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 25. Death will be destroyed, and we will all reap the benefit. But it has not been destroyed yet, at least from the perspective of life in this world. Now, in the Christian understanding, as you know, death is closely connected with sin. The wages of sin is death, as Paul also tells us in Romans And of course, in Genesis, the consequence of the original sin in the garden was mortality. What this means is that so long as there is sin, there will be death. And most saliently for us today, the reverse is true as well. So long as there is still death, it is a proof of the deep persistence of sin in this life. Now, this may sound like bad news, but it's not. Not today, anyway. For you and me, still living with our old damage, this is good news. It is good news 
Because the fear we have as our old self persists, as the part we hate about ourselves and try to repress persists, the fear is that something has gone wrong, that we have messed up somehow and lost our invitation to the party, that the spiritual and moral failures of our lives have quietly but irretrievably disconnected us from God. The fact that death persists means that this is not true. It means that the unhealed character of our faulty hearts is known and is not a surprise. It means that even with the worst we bring to the table, we have not been allowed to jump the containment wall. Theologically speaking, there is no persistence of sin in your life that is more radical or problematic for a theologian than the persistence of physical death in the world. And even death, as Paul tells us, does not derail the plan. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that death isn't there, it's that it has no victory and no sting. The victory in this passage goes through death, not around it. It goes through sin, not around it. It removes the sting and the power of these things, but it does not remove the fact of them. There's a place in Martin Luther's writings where he takes up the question of the persistence of sin in Christian lives in the most radical manner imaginable even by his standards. It's in a piece of writing called The Answer to Latomus, and I know you'll all be very familiar with it. Um, nevertheless, I'll uh, just remind you. Um, that's, that's where it is. Uh, when Luther wants to go deepest in The Answer to Latomus, the text he chooses is 1 Corinthians 15. Here's Luther. Sin in us after baptism is truly speaking sin. For the prompting of wrath or lust is the same in the godly man as it is in the godless. It is the same before grace as it is after grace, as it is the same flesh before and after grace. But in a state of grace, it has no power. Death faces us all, of course, but its sting has been drawn, and it can neither hurt nor terrify. This is radical stuff. This is the heavy artillery, the overwhelming airstrike. These are the deep cuts reserved for only the most messed up among us. It's not the only story that can be told. It is not even the only story that Paul tells, though it is one story that Paul tells. But it's the only story that can speak to the darkest places. It's the story that speaks when nothing has changed. To say that the prompting of wrath or lust is the same in the godly man as it is in the godless is an extraordinary statement. Does it ring true for you? Is there a part of you in the places that really matter, the deep places of desire and anger and fear, that feels the same after grace as before? Do you experience in some way the stubborn persistence of the flesh, of the old fault in the system, even today. 
Part of what both Paul and Luther are saying is that there is something mighty that happens when we have the same sin but no longer fear judgment or punishment. Its power is removed. Its lion's roar has become the mewling of a kitten. There's a kind of freedom, a kind of removal of the sting, even just in the radical change in perspective that the assurance of God's forgiveness and favor brings. But I think the good news here goes a little further than just a change in perspective, even a mighty and important change in perspective like that one. Because even beyond that, though related to it, there is a reality, there is a factor that can handle everything you throw at it. There is a firewall deep in the nature of things. The definition of a firewall originally, before it became something in computer networks, was this. A barrier inside a building or vehicle designed to limit the spread of fire, heat, and structural collapse. There is a firewall in the nature of things that means that even the hell you live with inside you cannot bring you to ruin. Even your utter inner structural collapse has been forever limited in scope and effect due to the actions of another. Even beyond the details of our particular sins and failings, beyond our particular need for forgiveness for our failures as parents and as lovers, our little lives as petty egoists, our moments of casual cruelty and uncompassion, beyond our particular damage and its very real consequences upon others. Even beyond all this, there is a need for a firewall in the world. There is a flaw in the system deeper than any one instance can reveal and deeper than words can convey. To riff on Shakespeare via John Green, a native son, there is a fault in our stars and in ourselves. There is a damage in the foundations too deep to repair. It is true of you and it is true of me and it is true of the world. But there is a firewall and it is insuperable and it looks like this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the next time the scar breaks open, the next time you open the hood and the old damage is far worse than you had remembered, the next time you experience structural collapse and the realization that despite years, nothing has changed, remember that for the one who watches in eternity, even death itself 
is not a surprise and is not a deviation from the plan. And whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter now. It never did matter. It never will matter. Because in eternity, there is a firewall, rod of love and blood. Dear Lord, give us faith when nothing's changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.